Thanks for finding us. This is a message recorded at Fairfax Assembly in Bakersfield, California. You can find out more at fairfaxassembly.com. I want you to get Bible in hand and uh, turn with me to the Gospel of Luke. Over these four Sundays of January, we are going to observe the Lord's Supper every week. And each week, I want to be giving you something new that can cause you to draw closer to Christ than you've ever been in this coming year. Four obligations. Christians do not like to be obligated in America today. Don't like to be obligated to be at church on time every Sunday. Don't like to be obligated to give. Don't like to be obligated to serve. We don't like obligations, but we need to grow up and take on our obligations as believers in the body of Christ. And one of those we'll be talking about today. We'll be talking in the weeks to come in January about the obligation to give. If you give, I can promise you, you will be closer to Christ in this year than you ever have before. If you will fast, if you will care, those are the things in the weeks to come. Today, I want us to look at prayer with the idea that prayer is more than we think and prayer is in fact easier than you think. I was meeting this last week with a group of Christians of various kinds. They come from different backgrounds, different denominations, different groups. We all had a common purpose and we were meeting. But they all don't worship the way I do. And that's okay. And that should be okay with all of us. That every believer doesn't worship the same way you and I might. Because after all, when we're making disciples, which is our job, and we'll be talking about that next week. When we're talking about making followers of Christ, disciples, apprentices, we're not making disciples of me or of my point of view, but we're making disciples of Jesus. And Jesus disciples people in different ways. A lot of people wring their hands and say, oh, isn't it terrible that there's not unity in the body of Christ when what they really mean is uniformity. Isn't it sad that everybody's not like me, that everybody doesn't worship like me and think like me and do like me? When they call for unity, they really mean uniformity. I don't think God needs uniformity. I think, in fact, we should expect exactly what we see, great diversity in the body of Christ, in the way people follow Jesus. Some do it differently than I do, the way they worship and the way they pray even, and on this night that I was meeting with this group of all kind of believers, we concluded our time together with prayer, and I knew that during that time of prayer that some in that gathering were used to very formal written prayers, wrote prayers, memorized prayers. They prayed the Our Father. They prayed the Jesus Prayer. They prayed the, the breastplate of St. Patrick. They have formal written prayers, memorized prayers. That's the way they pray. Others I knew in that gathering more comfortable praying spontaneously. And so during the prayer time, I peeked. Because I wanted to see how different people were going to react to the different kinds of prayer. But prayer is not just one thing only. Paul in the gospel, in the letter to the Ephesians, says, pray with all kinds of prayer. There are all kinds of different kinds of prayer. And prayer isn't just one thing only. But it is one thing essentially. What is prayer? Essentially, what in essence is prayer? 
Let me take just a few minutes to show you from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 10. I want you to turn there if you've got your Bible, and if you don't, you should. Luke, chapter 10. Jesus has just told, and His disciples, His followers, His apprentices have just heard a landmark story, one of His bedrock parables, the story of the Good Samaritan, you know it. And you know, knowing that story, that that is a tale that Jesus tells that is a religion-shattering monument of a story that leaves spiritual smugness in the dust. And what it essentially is teaching us is this, that if you don't love your neighbor, and your neighbor is not just somebody that you like, or somebody who is likable, or somebody who likes you, or somebody that's compatible with you, or somebody that lives near you or has common interests. But if you don't love your neighbor, and your neighbor Jesus defines in the story as someone, anyone who needs your attention, whether you like them, don't like them, or have any kind of feeling for them at all is not the issue. If they need your attention, they are your neighbor, and if they don't get your attention at their time of need, then your religion is meaningless and a joke because it costs you nothing but nice words. He's just told that great story, and he's exiting from the scene of that. And pick it up at verse 38, chapter 10 of Luke. It says, now as they were traveling along from that story, or as they were on their way, as they're on their way from that story, they enter into a small village not far from the big city of Jerusalem, a suburb really, that Jesus and his entourage had visited a number of times before. Because there is a family there that are great friends of Jesus and are always anxious to extend hospitality to him and his followers. And so they enter the village of Bethany, and they enter the home of a woman named Martha. Now, what we know about Martha is that in her home, she lives also with a sister. It seems that she is younger, Mary. And there is also a brother, and they all seem to be widowed, not married, and the brother's name is Lazarus, not mentioned in this story, though. We know him from the story in the book of John about how Jesus brings him back from the dead, Lazarus. But his name isn't mentioned here. And some people think that the reason Lazarus is not mentioned in this story, though the story takes place in his home, is because this gospel was written when Lazarus was still alive. Lazarus has been risen by Christ, and for that reason, the enemies of Jesus hate Lazarus because Lazarus is exhibit A, that Jesus is God himself. And so they leave out, Dr. Luke leaves out the name of Lazarus in this story so as not to draw attention during his lifetime and cause him any more grief. Your Gospel of John was written many decades later. And so Lazarus is off the scene, and, and he's mentioned in the story there. But Jesus enters into this home where he has been an often guest, and he's welcomed by Martha into the home. Now, 
Immediately upon Jesus entering the home, Sister Mary parks herself in front of Jesus at his feet. To listen to every word, every breath that comes out of his mouth, she wants to absorb it. Now it's an officious occasion to have Jesus and his merry men in the house. And so she, Martha, is busy getting all the preparations for meal and hospitality, making sure that the guest rooms are set up right, making sure that all of the food is prepared right, probably haggling with merchants that are coming to sell her fish or something else. And she's making sure that the place is cleaned up and the table is set and everything is just right and everything is on schedule and there's a thousand and one details to attend to. And she grows frustrated with Sister Mary and with Jesus. Martha is a bold one. And she goes to Jesus with the complaint, Jesus, don't you care that I'm so busy here? Can't you see what I'm doing? Make my sister help me. She rats out her sister. (laughs) And Jesus doesn't do it. In fact, he says to her, Martha, you are worried. You are distracted by many details. By your busyness. You are distracted. But Mary, for her part, is doing the one thing that is necessary. She's chosen the best, sitting at my feet. And what she has will not be taken away from her. In other words, this experience that she's having is irrevocable. You can't take it away from her. She's done the best thing by sitting at my feet. Now, Jesus had just told a landmark story, but this real-life story is no less shattering. She's at his feet. You know, there's no written prayers here. There's no formal prayers spoken. There are no spontaneous expressions of prayer. There's no amens in this story. But what Mary is doing, I think, is a true picture of true prayer. She's spending time at the feet of Jesus. And she knows that at his feet, all the distractions dissolve. And that's true. When you get at the feet of Jesus... All of the thousand and one things that are pounding for your attention, they melt away. Distraction dissolve. Look at the difference between the two sisters. If you've got your Bible open in front of you, look in verse 40. But Martha was distracted with all her preparations. She was distracted. She was anxious. She was troubled. She was distressed. She was restless in spirit, about many things. The word that's used for her restlessness is a word that you would use when you're talking about water that has been stirred, that has been agitated, that's bubbling. But look at Mary. What a contrast. She is composed. She's still. Why is that? Because she's seated at the feet of the Savior. That's why. She's put herself there. And here's what she knows. 
Mary knows that at the feet of Jesus, the attitude of real prayer, that it's not about what you do. It's not at all about what you do. And, and that will work the same for you. Distractions will dissolve for you. Things that cause disquiet in your spirit will evaporate if you will put yourself like Mary at the feet of Jesus and realize that it's not about what you do. Look at, look at Martha's furious activity. It says all the preparations. And that's how she defined herself. I've got all of these preparations. But it's not about what you do. It's not about how productive you are for people, for your family, even for God. It's not about what you do. It's about who you are. Being comes before doing. Martha's work is important in the proper place and in the proper time, in the proper amount. But when it's time for Jesus, you're never right to do anything else except sit at His feet. When it's the Lord's day, you spend part of it with Him. And when it's time to stop the activity and sit quietly at His feet, anything else you would think of doing is the wrong thing. There can only be one right thing at that moment, and that's to listen, to sit at His feet. And that's true prayer. And at His feet, the distractions dissolve. And at His feet, it's not about what you do. At His feet, your investment is secure. You know, if you live a life of ceaseless, constant activity from one thing to the next thing to the next, even if that activity involves working for God, if it's constant, and how many in ministry I've known who think working for God is the same thing as a relationship with God, it's not. But constant activity like that. And you'll be exactly like Martha. You'll find yourself in turmoil all the time. As always, Jesus puts his finger on it when he says, Martha, you are worried and upset about many things. Not just one thing. But Mary has chosen what's better in sitting at the feet of the Master, in listening, really listening. Unlike many who hear the word and walk away unchanged. They go back to the old ways that lead to worry and upset. But what she has chosen, he says, will not be taken away from her. Spend time with Jesus. Just wait. Don't rush it. Just linger. Soak in his presence. And even though some would say that is a waste of time and would sit there a moment and then rush off into the next activity, if you will sit there and linger there and soak it in, you will never be sorry. How strange. Martha wants Jesus to correct Mary for not doing what she was doing. Instead, it's Martha who gets corrected for not doing what Mary does. The better thing, he says. And he says, no way will I take her away from the better thing. She's invested time with me. And that's something that can't be lost. Finally, when you're at Jesus' feet, there's one last thing. The focus becomes very narrow. 
Jesus says it this way, only one thing is necessary. Now what, child of God, what do you really need? Food? Clothes? Shelter? Security? In his Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says the Father already knows that you need those things. So don't spend all of your energy and all of your years trying to get those things. And don't spend all of your prayer time about those things. Because he says all these things the pagans run after. And he ends by saying, don't be afraid, little flock, for the things that you need. It's not the many things. It's all about the one thing. There's only one thing. And what is it? It's just to spend time with Jesus. At his feet. Still. And listening. And looking at the one who is altogether lovely. That's the only necessary thing. No magic wands with this. It's just obedience. Only obedience. Only putting yourself in a place where you can hear, where you can listen. All of our resolutions and and all of our pledges and all of our promises to do better, you know why they fail? They fail because we have no strength. We have no strength. But sit with Jesus daily and let him change you. Because if you sit with him every day, he will. He'll change you. This is prayer. That's prayer. It's easier than we think, isn't it? If you will do this, consistently in the year to come, then you will be drawn closer to Christ than you have ever been. If you just sit at his feet and listen. You've been listening to a slightly inspired message from Fairfax Assembly, a different kind of church in Bakersfield, California. Find out more at www.fairfaxassembly.com.